Thank you for tuning in to week three of the meme series at City Church. We are honored and blessed to have you join us for our online worship experience. It is our intent to share God's word with the local community, online viewers, and our church family. If you are from the greater Savannah area and do not have a church home, we would love for you to visit us at 1624 East 38th Street at the corner of 38th and B Road. Remember, resources like this are meant to be supplemental, so get yourself to church. If you would like to find out more about City Church, you can find out more by visiting citychurch.life or clicking on the link in the description. So, uh, we're uh, diving into a special one-off message today. We've been in our series called Memes, and next week is going to be awesome. So, I just want to give you a preface. I was in Minnesota last week uh, visiting a friend, and Caleb uh, Hannon was the one who brought the word, and what a great job he did. If you were here, didn't he do a great job? Uh, and, And let me say... Uh, Carmen mentioned uh, that there's a special gift for the ladies in just a moment, and it's truly something we're really proud of being able to give to you today. Uh, I want to recognize Caleb's wife, Crystal, and Donna Kincaid, and I think Donna has actually already even slipped into the back to help make sure everything is perfect, but those ladies... They have done so much work uh, to make today what it's going to be, and we're so thankful for Donna and Crystal. Crystal is actually with her mother at church today at our Pooler community, and while we're really sad that she's not with us, we're thankful that she has the opportunity to be in church with her mom, but be sure when you see Donna or Crystal to tell them thank you for everything they do in the church and for helping to make today what it is. Uh, And so next week, though, while I was up in Minnesota last week, I was riding down the road, and I was uh, just uh, listening to uh, uh, a teaching on Scripture, and I had this, like, total moment with God, and I freaked out in the car. And Isaac was sitting next to me, and Isaac was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just... I, okay, anybody in here, uh, uh, I know we've had this conversation from time to time, anybody in here Marvel fans, anybody see Endgame yet, right, okay? So, like, like when you watch Endgame, like, you're looking for the Easter eggs, right? And then you go back and you watch the older movies, some of the previous 22 films, is that right? And then you're like, oh, I see how these c- connect the dots. And then there's sometimes when you're watching, you're like, that doesn't make sense yet. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, now I get it. Well, let me tell you, the, the creator of that type of storytelling was God. And Genesis to Revelation is so filled with dots to connect that I, preaching a few weeks ago, while I was preaching, I connected some dots and about freaked out on the platform. I told Carmen afterwards, I felt like I was in one of those scenes in a movie where all the girls get really excited and they're jumping on the mattress of a bed and they're going, oh, like that's how I felt. And next- Today, if you get an epiphany, can you just do that? Cause it's Mother's Day. Yes, <laughs> I, I do that really well, evidently. And next week's uh, series, as we continue into week three of memes, I am super excited to share with you guys. So please make plans to be here. Uh, I think it'll be encouraging and it might connect some dots for you. Uh, and so I won't give any spoilers into it because spoilers are bad. So, uh, all right. So today is Mother's Day and Carmen has been working on uh, this for six months. Uh, something like that. It's been in conversations. This is a really important day. Uh, I'll let you explain why. So um, it's just on my heart, um, the empowerment that women have from God, our creator. 
And so in Proverbs, I was reading, and I thought, man, God is the one who empowers women. And like in our society, it's like, yeah, women have power. And we do, because God empowers us. And so there's a lot of influence that women carry. And I just want to do our, our best today to kind of unpack that scripturally for you. So, so historically, uh, there is you know, no doubt that uh, women have had to overcome a tremendous amount of obstacles and there have been uh, just uh, seasons of our history where uh, men specifically have taken advantage of women. And I, I just, Carmen and I were talking about it and we just wanna address that as we get into the word today that we understand this. Uh, sometimes it, it becomes like this cultural thing. And so you'll have cultures even today where uh, they will view women as uh, not being equal to a man, not being equal uh, maybe even before the Lord. And so uh, you'll have cultures, you'll have religions that see women as property or some type of possession. And I, I want you to know that uh, that is not a fair reality and it does not line up with the Word of God. And the Word of God uh, uh, has from the beginning seen men and women as being uh, God's children and being equal. And there are uh, passages that we find in scripture where men were unfair to women. And I wanna address that just real quickly for you. Uh, the Bible is, is authentic. It's very, it's very real, and it puts inside of it not just the victories of the kingdom, but also the losses. And a lot of times people will go, oh, well, I read this in the Bible, and I don't like that because that was mean, and that must mean that God's no good. But the truth is God does not endorse uh, ever within Scripture men having multiple wives, uh, men oppressing women, but the truth is that men have done that and, and it's even happened in the last 2000 years in Christianity and there are churches today that would fall uh, or try to slide into the umbrella of Christianity and have an oppressive word for women uh, that's positional that uh, again is oppressive. And I, I just wanna say that, that we don't interpret scripture to mean that. I can find no evidence that puts a woman in a lesser place than a man. And so uh, men, I want you to hear that from uh, me as a pastor. Women, I want you to hear that. Your church sees you as equals with men. We champion you and what God has for you. We do recognize though that men and women are different, right? It doesn't mean that uh, equality doesn't mean that everybody's a, a, a robot and exactly the same. In fact, I would say that even among the men in the room, all of us men are different and all of the women are different. And there are times within scripture where God gives instruction about how men are to operate and how women are to operate but God is 100% a champion of females. And then I just wanna say, know this, uh, you know, ladies, and this is something that we're instilling in a 13-year-old girl in our home, uh, you have 100% say over uh, how a man should treat you. And even, even inside of your marriage, uh, a man doesn't have the right to push you around. He doesn't have a right to demand uh, some type of intimacy. Uh, you have a right to be at the table and be a part of the conversation. 
And if you are ever encountering a situation in your life that you feel like is abusive, and you know what? The, the, the reality is physically men uh, a lot of times are stronger than women and they use that to take advantage. I and a group of our elders will personally drag those men out into the street and, and teach them about the five-fold ministry. You ever heard that it's before? True. You know what I'm saying? Don't so test it. You don't, have to, you don't have to be in that relationship, all right? And let me tell you something. You are welcome to stand up and walk out and still love that man. Do not think that your love is tied to sitting there and taking the abuse, okay? You can love them, and you probably are showing them greater love by drawing a line in the sand. So that's just really important that, that we say that, especially in the current culture that wants to create division around this topic. We are the church. We are children of God, and these are the views that we hold, and we wanted to lead in with that. So that being said, uh, thank you. <laughs> We're going to dive into wisdom literature. Okay, so in the Bible, there are three books that are known as the wisdom literature. They are Proverbs that we're going to be looking at today. They are, it's also Ecclesiastes and Job. So in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a young lady, as a teacher, and it's like she's the best friend that knows the right thing to say and helps you get to the other side of whatever dilemma you're in. So she's like the friend that you want by your right side. Here's what it also says about Proverbs. It's Proverbs is an attribute of God that was present since the beginning of creation that he used to uh, create the world. And we are told that wisdom is so easily accessed, all you have to do is ask for it. So I want you to think about that. Wisdom as an attribute of God is accessible right now in your life if you simply ask for it. That's how simple it is. And so I want you to think of that as we go through this, uh, uh, this teaching this morning. And I just thought that was amazing because I thought, how many times do I stress over things in my life or situations or whatever, and I feel like I'm stuck trying to figure it out and I have such a limited amount of tools in my tool belt to do this. And I don't want to neglect the fact that God says, here you go, it's this, uh, this wisdom that is like a skilled artisan honing its craft through life. That's, that's what you can do, just weave it into the tapestry of your life. And so in Proverbs, it's referred to as chokmah, and it's like when you're accessing wisdom, like your life is going smoothly and going well. And if you're, dis, if you're disconnected from chokmah, then there's chaos and turmoil. It's like this cause and effect. And then Ecclesiastes goes in and says, well, uh, everything's chance, everything is meaningless, meaning not that life has no meaning, but more like translated like smoke, like it's unclear. Life is beautiful and mysterious, but its meaning is unclear. And once you think you have a grasp on it, it changes. So that's where Ecclesiastes brings in its wisdom. And it's like a young critic. You, like, you hear the voice of the critic, and then you hear the voice of the author telling you about the critic through the book of Ecclesiastes. Finally, in Job, he's personified, this book is personified like the wise old man. He's been through some stuff. He's had some hard knocks in life. He's completely landed in the place of trusting God and God's wisdom, though he never really gets answers for his hardships in life. And this, uh, this information about the wisdom literature comes through Right Now Media. So we want to make a plug right now for Right Now Media. For being at City Church, you have access to Right Now Media through our account, and it's amazing. You're going to want to find yeah, out how to do If you're a access. guest today, you'll receive an email at some point this week that gives you a code to access Right Now Media. It's a collection of sermons, teachings, uh, small group curriculums, expository layouts of scripture, 
kids programming that is actually a library larger than Netflix and the production quality is outstanding. It's a great way to get uh, the word into your life. If you, uh, you'll receive an email that gives you access to it. Our church pays for that for anybody that uh, comes through these doors. And if you are already calling City Church home and you haven't accessed it, let us know. We'll get you a code so that you can log in. Our family's making use of it and it's really been very encouraging. So I wanted to give you kind of like the context of the wisdom and what we're bringing in today, but go back and check that out. Check out the wisdom literature, it's amazing. Okay, so our verse today is Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Right here is a picture of empowerment. The decisions that you make and how you walk out your life literally determine, are you building your house like a wise woman, or in your own chaos, are you tearing yours down by being foolish? And we're going to look at that today. So let's look at the story of Abigail and Nabal. This is, or Nabal. This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I think that I could probably unpack this today as a sermon in itself. You know how ladies, like we get together and like we want to tell the details. Like, and then I was wearing the red dress and then he was wearing this and then I said blah, blah. And like we're like taking two hours to tell a 10 minute segment of our night. And I don't know if you do that, but I do that. And then when Jim gets home from his day, I'm like, and then what else? Like, I want to know. And like, it sounds naggy, but it's like, I just want to know the details. Well, there's a lot of details in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So go back and read it because it's amazing. And I only have time to breeze through it. Basically, what's happening is uh, Nabal, his name means harsh and badly behaved. And he lives up to his name. He's a very rich man who has a lot of possessions, and it's time to shear his sheep, and it's time for feasting. Uh, Abigail, his wife, her name means discerning and beautiful, and she lives up to her name as well. So there's this married couple. He's a full picture of fool and folly. Folly meaning instances of foolishness. He operates, and everyone around him knows this. It says it in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Everyone who works for him it's like he cannot make a good decision to save his life, and he can't even operate in, in uh, nothing that's, I guess, like anti-chaotic. What's the word for that? Like orderliness. There you go, orderliness. And then um, Abigail, she's discerning and beautiful. So David sends 10 men to Nabal, and he sends this peaceful greeting. He's been out in the wilderness kind of watching over the land, watching over the sheep and everything. He sends a greeting to Nabal and says, peace be to you. We've been with your shepherds. We've stolen nothing from them. I'm telling you, like, we mean no harm to you. You know, we bless you. And what I'm asking in return is when we come into the town, would you be hospitable to us and show us your kindness and help us along while we're, while we're there? And um, Nabal, his response to David is, who's David? Like, who's this son of Jesse? This was a slap in the face to David because he would have been well-known in the area that he was the one that slayed the giant, that he was the one anointed to be king. Everybody knew who David was. So he's sitting like a, hey, buddy, high five. I'm coming to your town. Treat us nicely. Nabal goes, who are you? And why should I treat you well? So that instance of foolish, foolishness, it lit David up. The word gets back to David and you would have thought that someone cut him off in traffic the way he replied. <laughs> this is what I think. Um, he gets ready 400 men with swords. He's like, okay, strap on your swords. They're like, yes, sir. They strap on their swords. And he has 200 men on reserve. So he's going to go and he's going to kill Nabal 
for being so rude and such a slap in his face. And so the one of Nabal's own men goes to Abigail and says, look, David sent this peaceful greeting. He wants to come in and be treated nicely. Nabal said, who are you? Slap in the face. I'm really concerned because now the word on the street is David is sending 400 men to come kill Nabal and all of the men here. And this is what it says that she, she does. Then Abigail made haste. She just got the word that people are coming to kill Nabal, her husband, who is foolish. Everybody knows is foolish. And she's wise and discerning. And she's sparked to action. She stays calm. She keeps her composure. It says in verse um, 18, you don't have this back there. I just wanted to read this real quick. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on a donkey. She's like, I'm going to go feed these men that are coming to battle. She's going to go serve them, bring a peace offering of food, and have a conversation. Just a piece of wisdom for you ladies. Talk to your men over a steak dinner or something like that. Okay. Feed the stomach and then ask for the information. Okay. So it says that she did this. So I want to point this out to you. She knows her husband is foolish. Everybody around him knows that he's foolish. And she keeps her composure. She doesn't light into him and go fix the situation on her own. She thinks through it, has a strategy. And I got to tell you, it's easy to be a mom. I told Jim, it's easy to be a mom because I can tell my little ones what to do. It's harder to be a wife because I'm not his mom. I'm his wife. It's a totally different set of skills there. Okay, because it'd be a lot easier if I could just tell him, do this, do this, do that, do that, do that. But that's not my role, right? My role is different as a wife. Am I okay to say that? Yeah. I'm just being for real. Please. If you guys think I'm like perfect, I well, need evidence. April Fools on Mother's Day. Okay, all right. Um, so, so she does this, and she literally falls on her face. David, David's coming down through this ravine and with his 400 men. So because it's a mountain ravine, they're forced to come face to face with Abigail and to stop. And this is what she does. She gets down onto the ground flat on her, flat on her face and she intercedes for the men in her community and for her husband. And she says, let the punishment fall on me. And she says, I'm sorry for this. Um, you have to forgive him. He is a fool. Like, and she, she says the truth, but she's not lighting into her husband. She's interceding for him. Okay? So she falls flat on her face. She intercedes for him. David accepts what she says, because remember, she's discerning, and she's beautiful, so that helped her. Um, and it, this is what happens in verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. This is Abigail talking to David. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, my Lord being David, little L-O-R-D, because he's fighting the battles of the Lord God, capital L-O-R-D, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. She intercedes for her husband. She prophesies over David that he'll be free from the blood guilt of this if he'll just turn back. And he listens to her and he turns back. And she has saved the men in that community and saved her husband. Well, it goes on to say that um, she goes back into town. He's feasting, and he's drunk like crazy, so he's, like, all happy. She sees that he's drunk, and she waits until the morning hours. And so, again, she's strategic in the way that she deals with her husband. She waits till the morning hours, and then she goes to him and says, Look, this was happening. You and all your men, there was going to be none left of you. And I pleaded, and David spared you. 
I just wanted you to know. And it says that his, um, that basically like his heart just like hardened, like the pit of his stomach just hardened. And it says 10 days later he died. I mean, how crazy is that? I heard it said like this one time, ladies, if you will humble yourself before God, even if your husband stands proud and will not humble himself, if you're humbling yourself, the mighty hand of God could come and slap him down on his knees because it's strong enough to, and you're in the right position. Okay, so I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we don't respect our men. What I'm saying is when you're in the right position in relationship with your husband, God can do what God needs to do. And ultimately through this, um, David goes and takes Abigail as his wife and she's redeemed and the story goes on. So you gotta read it. It's this amazing, crazy love story with all this ups and downs. And I just wanted to set that out as a picture of foolishness versus wisdom as we go into more at this point. Yeah, and I think it's really uh, uh, an appropriate one because it doesn't mean that just, you know, that that, uh, every man is a fool or every man is arrogant and prideful because that's definitely not the case. But the truth is that there are men who are prideful and arrogant, just like there are women who do not operate with wisdom. And, you know, if you find yourself in a position like this, uh, whether you're married or maybe it's friends where, uh, you know, in that position you have a man who is uh, not operating with love and kindness, uh, the, the wisdom that we see here for, of Abigail is to not be somebody who's just throwing her husband under the bus and shaming him and embarrassing him. But even in his own foolishness, defending him and protecting him in, in the sense of how she communicates before others. And I think there's a lot to be said about wisdom there. Now, we, Carmen gave us a really good illustration of somebody who operates with this wisdom. And what we want to do is do a couple of, uh, we're going to do three quick case studies uh, showing some of the attributes that we believe line up with this type of wisdom. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, oh, you so Proverbs yeah. 15 um, says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What Abigail chose to do is she took a hold of wisdom and she gave a soft answer, a gentle answer by laying before David and interceding for her husband and for the men in her community. And what did it do? It turned David's anger away because a fire cannot keep burning without fuel. So ladies, listen, if you're not throwing fuel on that fire, if you're answering it with a soft answer, it has to die out. It has to turn away. I think that was beautiful what Abigail did. Yeah, I've shared this before, but when Carmen and I first got married, uh, uh, I would get upset about stuff. And uh, when I would begin to lose my cool, she would uh, get this little silly smirk on her face. And then she would just start laughing. And I'd get so frustrated. I'm like, what are you laughing at? And she would just go, you just look silly. You just look silly while you're upset. And then for me, I, what do you do with that? Now, I know some guys that might've just set them off, but for me, that was embarrassing. And I was like, oh, all right, I can do better. And uh, it really made a difference in helping me to mature and grow and learn how to control my own tongue when it comes to communicating with my wife. So uh, she builds with wisdom, all right? The idea today is she builds and she does that with wisdom. And so uh, maybe you're in here today and you're saying, you know what, I don't feel like I have that wisdom. I don't know that I'm somebody who's capable of really adding a lot of value when it comes to building. And so maybe the reason is, is that you feel too invisible to build. 
And so what I want to do is look at a, uh, uh, a woman in Scripture who was wrestling with the same thing, uh, feeling invisible, feeling like she wasn't being heard. Uh, her name's Tamar, and uh, she is married to one of Judah's sons, and uh, that son dies. And under the law of the day, uh, because of the need for uh, women to be protected and be cared for, uh, uh, it was the, uh, the legal thing. I don't want to just say appropriate because this went beyond what was appropriate. It was a, a mandated uh, situation within their community, and that was that the next of kin had the responsibility of redeeming her. And so uh, one of Judah's other sons was old enough, and so uh, that son uh, married Tamar, and then that son died. And Judah lacked some integrity in his own faith. And uh, he uh, most scholars believe just was very superstitious and believe that Tamar was probably some type of like bad luck charm. And uh, his third son wasn't old enough to, to marry yet. And he said, listen, when the day comes, I promise I'm going to marry you to my son. Just wait. Well, that time came and went and he didn't uphold uh, his end of the bargain. And the reality is, is that uh, uh, he just did not believe Tamar deserved to be a part of the family. And this was unfair to her because uh, based on the way that the, the laws of their community worked, that's who had to redeem her. So she was kind of just left out to uh, have to fend for herself in a society that did not have resources to, to aid her in the process. And so uh, she ends up uh, in this place where uh, if, this, if he won't allow uh, her to marry the son, she also has the right to marry him. Uh, and so this, the scripture says in Genesis 38, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enam, uh, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. And so what she does is tenacious Tamar uh, steps up and pretends to be a prostitute and she draws on this immorality of Judah and Judah not recognizing her because of the veil and because of the years that had passed uh, takes her and uh, sleeps with her. And when he is done, he wants to pay her. And so he says, I don't have any money on me. So he gives her uh, the equivalent of his signet, his, his mark that says like, like this is, this is a, my identity. This will let people know that I have made something. This is the way I would make a decree. And uh, he says, you hold this while I go and get money. I'll send the money back to get my signet in return. And uh, what she does is she just uh, leaves, she disappears. And so when his servant shows up with the money, uh, she's nowhere to be found. And then it turns out that she is pregnant. And so word gets back to Judah that she is pregnant and Judah is filled with rage because it's easy to be righteous in front of everybody. It's not as easy to be righteous when nobody's looking, right? And so now everybody's looking and they go, hey, Tamar's pregnant. And he's like, she needs to be burned. We need to bring her in and burn her for what she has done. I don't mean like, like burn her, like burn her to death. And 
she uh, gets word of this, and so she sends this signet, the, these, these markers back, and says, uh, the son is yours, or, or the child is yours. And of course, this brings a tremendous amount of humility to the situation. Now, now we decided to share this story with Tamar in this because here's somebody who's feeling invisible, somebody who's trying to live within the community and honor God. And there's, there's no argument here that the, things she, the way that she handled this was not the best way. This was not, she took matters into her own hands. And let me tell you, she had twins. One of them's name was Perez and that uh, young man uh, one of his descendants will be King David. And of course, through the bloodline of David, we will find uh, Jesus the Messiah. And so what we find here in this scripture is that even in the midst of uh, situations where things are not handled the way that, that they should be handled, God is faithful to redeem his children. And so I will say this, Maybe you have a portion of your past, uh, ladies, that you would say, listen, I, you know, I was trying to claim to be a Christian. I was really trying to walk this out. And then I made some decisions that I really understand now were immoral. They were, they were uh, sin. They did not honor God. God is not looking for us to live our lives perfectly right? He understood we could not do that. That's why Jesus came. So he's a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God of redemption. And so as we move into the place where we are living our lives without sin, where we're striving for excellence and relationship, God is faithful to take our past and use it for his glory. And that's exactly what he did here in the situation of uh, what we were calling tenacious Tamar, uh, a, a, a woman who was determined not to be invisible. She was widowed twice, promised to marry his other son eventually, so he sent her away just to be a widow, just to live life and like forgot about her. And so that's why we asked the question, do you feel too invisible to keep building your life? I hope not because the beauty is you can keep building your life as long as you have breath in your lungs and you're empowered to do so with the wisdom. So draw on the tenacity that's needed in your life. You have permission to have some tenacity and to fight for the things that honor God. And if you wanna build your home and you wanna be a, a, a part of making that happen, wisdom says sometimes you gotta dig in and do the hard work. Do you feel too sinful to build? Let's take a look at Rahab. In Joshua chapter two, Rahab is a prostitute. People in the town know that she is, and so men who come into the city often go and lodge at her house. Well, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men down to spy on the land. He says, go out and spy on the land, especially Jericho. Now, if you guys know the story of Jericho, the walls will fall and everything, but uh, for the moment being, Rahab lives in the city wall, and um, so they- They're Canaanites, so th these are not this is not a Jewish community. This is a, we talked earlier about cultures and religions that had different views on women. So her being a prostitute was uh, most likely something that was mandated in her life. And if it wasn't mandated, it was certainly approved of uh, in the sense that she, this was how she was going to provide for herself. This was the type of job that the Canaanites would uh, push women to take part in. So two men sent from Joshua come down and they, they lodge in her house and she says, um, I'll hide you here. They, the king hears that these two men have come and that they're there to spy. So he sends his men 
to Rahab's house and says, hey, these men that came in to spy on us, where are they? And she's brilliant. She goes, oh, they came in, and I didn't know who they were, and they left, and the city gate was about to close for the night. She's like, they went this way. She said, I don't know which way they went, but they went out. Hurry, go pursue them, and you will find them. So he sends his men out to pursue, and they shut the city gates for the night. So now she has created the situation where danger is out of these men's lives, and she goes up to the roof where she had been drying the flax for the day, and she had hid them under the flax, and this is what it says. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, this is setting the scene for that, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she makes this statement of faith. She's going, we all have heard what your God is capable of doing. And these people in this city are afraid of you and what you could bring. That's why the king wanted them out of the city. And so she acknowledges and she professes her faith right here. She says, I know that your God in heaven, he is, she says, for the Lord your God, he is God. She makes that statement of faith, okay? So she comes into reverence for God, and this is what it says about, about wisdom. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So it's like, well, where do I begin? Like, if I'm in the middle of, like, this mess that I've created where do I begin taking hold of wisdom? This is where it begins. You begin to fear God. You begin to hear what he can do, and you line yourself up with that. That's the beginning of wisdom. And so this is what she does. And so she is given instructions. They have this conversation now that they know that they're on the same team, and the men give her this instruction. They say, okay, what she did is she interceded for her family. She pled for her family, and she said, when you come back to take over the city, please remember my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and, and spare them because I'm going to help you. So they said, okay, do this. Mark your window with a crimson rope so we know which house is yours. We'll tell our men. Keep your family in the house, and by this, they will show mutual respect to you. Because she interceded for her family, they're on the same team, they're working, and there's this mutual respect. There's this fear of the Lord that she comes to, and this mutual respect with the men that she is here conversing with. So we're going to call her Reverend Rahab. Because of what God has done and what she heard about, she has this reverence and this fear of God. Right. So you might be in your life uh, at some point going, you know, I'm full of sin. How do I step into being this type of person, this type of woman specifically? And, you know, she's a Canaanite. She is hearing of the miracles of God. And what happens is, is that she shows reverence to God by accepting that he is the creator. She declares him Lord over her life. And by doing so, she is redeemed. Uh, the scripture goes on to say that when uh, she is out of Jericho, protected, she marries a man named Salmon. And her and uh, Salmon end up having a son whose name is Boaz. We'll learn more about Boaz in just a moment. 
Uh, but God redeems the situation, not just in the sense of like, hey, let me get you to a safe place, but can I tell you something? Redemption isn't about just getting you through, it's getting you to, all right? It's getting you to the next place. It doesn't just get you through, it gets you to. And he brings her to a place where she, anything in her life that had been taken from her is restored. Family, wealth, uh, property, a home, everything that she, that she desired in her life, it was brought to her. And God is faithful to do that. So it doesn't matter where you're at right now, right? And this is a, a lesson that's true for men too. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. Sin in your life, repent before the Lord, declare him to be king, move forward, uh, cry out for wisdom and God will see you through and see you to those things that he's promised for you into your destiny. So uh, the third one that we wanna uh, talk about today is, is the question of do you feel too overwhelmed to build? Do you ever feel just too overwhelmed? Uh, you, I think that, um, and I can't speak for every woman in the place, but I know that Carmen can come into this situation sometimes where she just has so much responsibility that she begins to feel overwhelmed. Uh, and uh, a decision has to be made when we come to this place of feeling overwhelmed. And Ruth is a really great example of this. Uh, in fact, uh, immediately following our series on uh, memes coming into June, we're gonna be launching a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Ruth, and you won't wanna miss that. It's, one of the it's just one of the most amazing uh, short stories within scripture. So the book of Ruth is really, really powerful and gives us some insight into this young lady's life. So Ruth was a, a Moabite woman living in Moab, uh, and then you have uh, Elimelech and uh, Naomi. They moved to Moab because of a famine that had hit the town that they lived in of Bethlehem. And while they are there, uh, their sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, meet these two Moabite women, uh, one by the name of Orpah and the other by the name of Ruth. And then throughout the, some period of time, we're not given any insight into how long that period of time was, but, but we, it wasn't a terribly long time, and I'll explain why in just a moment, but all of the men died. So uh, the father, Naomi's husband died, and then uh, uh, Orpah's husband, and then Ruth's husband, they die. And this is why we, we don't see it as being a terribly long period of time, because word came to Naomi that the famine had come to an end in Bethlehem. And so uh, historically speaking, the odds of this being some 30 or 40 year long famine would not line up with what we find in historical records. Typically these types of famines lasted for years at a time, possibly a, a decade. So we're not talking about a lot of time here. And Naomi looks and says, listen, girls, I appreciate everything that you've done. I'm going back to my people. The famine is over, there's food to eat, and I just need to go and make a way uh, for myself to basically be able to die. Uh, she takes on this identity of bitterness and Orpah uh, says, yeah, good, I'm gone. And she leaves and Ruth uh, says, uh, no, your God is my God. Your people are my people. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I will die. And so she makes this statement of faith and says, I am now covered by the same love and mercy that your God extends to you. And so she comes back and they come back to nothing. They come back to poverty, right? Now, just think about this. 
Ruth probably had family, probably had a way to move on just like Orpah did and move on with her life and accomplish something uh, within the Moabites, within the society of the Moabites. But she comes to a foreign land with this old woman who uh, changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. So she's like, hey, stop calling me Naomi. Just start calling me bitter. I'm, a, I'm just, God's turned his back on me. I'm miserable. And so Ruth's having to live with this. And the scripture says that uh, they get to Bethlehem and God set up this awesome series of provisions for people who were in need. We'll cover that in the month of June. Uh, and the way that they did that is they went out and they gleaned the fields. And this was really hard work. And gleaning is this, when they came by to grab the harvest, anything that fell off of uh, the wagons that came across or anything that was missed had to be left so that people who were in need could come and work uh, and be able to have food to eat. So they weren't allowed to just go and say, hey, you're in need, here's a little bit of food. Uh, they had to come and work. And so in Ruth chapter two, verse seven, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Boaz shows up on the scene and says, I see this girl, she's coming at, she's out here working. And they tell him, his workers, they say, yeah, she came and said, let, let me work. And we said, yeah, I mean, it's your, your right to do that. You can come and, and, and glean and gather up some food. And they said, she's been working all day out here in the sun, like from sunup to sundown, she has been hard at work uh, trying to get the resources that are needed. And so the scripture tells us in here that she's bringing these resources home and that Naomi is beginning to get a little bit encouraged because now she finds out Boaz has shown up on the scene and she understands that based on their law, that Boaz could redeem Ruth, that Ruth could actually be, be redeemed and not just taken through, the, through, through this situation, but taken into to a new and better place. And, and listen to this in verse 10, uh, uh, Boaz approaches her and it says that then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Uh, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Uh, uh, Boaz comes in and he says that I have heard the story of the type of woman that you are. Boaz will indeed go on to redeem uh, Ruth. He will go on to take her to be his wife. And guys, it's, it's, this is an awesome story because Ruth declares her faith. Boaz is a man of God. When he comes on the field, I could, she was talking about this, I could preach on Ruth all day long. Boaz comes onto this field and Boaz greets his workers and says, may the Lord be with you. And it says that the workers stop what they're doing and turn and praise God for him. Right? So there's something different about this boss. He's not like this guy that's coming in and screaming and yelling at everybody, but he has the respect of his workers and he shows up and now he has the respect of Ruth. Now, Ruth is the one that's lowering herself, right? Ruth, Boaz is not saying, hey, Ruth, get down on your knees. No, Ruth comes, she lowers herself. She says, I know that I am a foreigner. I, am, I have nothing to offer. I just need enough food to be able to uh, feed my mother-in-law. And he's like, are you kidding? Like your, your story is known. 
people are talking about you. And I, I think this is really an appropriate uh, point to make today is that you might be in a place where you are busting it. You are working hard and you might be thinking, man, I expected it to be like this or I thought it was gonna be like that and why hasn't somebody noticed this? And the, and the truth is that as you're sitting there working, men and women, specifically to the women today though, as you're sitting there and you're working, you have no idea what story is being told around you about who you are and how God is gonna use that story. Come on, to totally radically change your life. And that's what happens right here with Ruth and she gets redeemed. And they go on to have uh, a, uh, a child and uh, that man's name is Jesse. And that guy, Jesse, has a son. His name is David. He becomes the king of Israel. He slays Goliath. Can I tell you, God is at work in the midst of people who are foreigners, in the midst of people who are walking through sin. They're invisible. They're feeling filled with sin. And then you have people uh, who are taking responsibility. So Proverbs uh, 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Let me just point out, in Ruth's life at this point of her story, it would be really easy for her to think that everything is over, her best years are behind her, and what she does is she doesn't sit and wallow in that, but she gets up and does exactly what is in front of her to do, and she honors the generation above her, which is her mother-in-law, and she's actually in between relationships and doesn't know it. And that's what I love about Ruth is she's responsible. We're going to call her responsible Ruth. And so I wanted to bring in this proverb about working, like just get to work with what's right in front of you. You don't know where you're at in your timeline with what God has. Ruth was right in between relationships once she thought it was all over. And here God comes later and redeems her. And so I just want you to hear, like stay in relationship with God. Do what's right in front of you. Keep on with your responsibilities and just see what God will do. We're going to call her Responsible Ruth. We, we sang that song in worship, I am who he says I am, right? And uh, that you can't forget that. Like when you're in the midst of some of these trials and these difficult places and you're sitting there and you feel like, man, I'm just putting a brick after brick and it's not taking shape. God's promises are yes and amen. He is faithful. Redemption is coming. He will see you through. You, you don't lose heart. Don't sit there and allow your own emotions to overtake you and push you to a place where you do not continue to fight because God is there and he has a plan and has a purpose. So the wise woman builds with tenacity, like we saw with Tamar. The wise woman builds with reverence, like we saw with Rahab. And the wise woman builds with responsibility. Let me point out that each of these ladies obviously had their own personality that they worked through. They obviously had their own set of skills and their own emotions. And had they built their life strictly on their emotions, history would have turned out far different than it did. But what we see is they build their life with wisdom that God gave them to manage their circumstances and their situations and to intercede for their family and to do the work that was right in front of them. So I just want you ladies to go from here, be encouraged in that. Be encouraged in that you don't have to stop and give up right now. You don't have to have everything figured out. And if you've made a mess of things, begin now with the fear of the Lord because the wise woman builds with tenacity, reverence, and responsibility. All right, Carmen is going to slip out uh, to the back to be able to greet the ladies in just a moment. And I just want to end with this thought um, that when she builds, she builds for a lifetime. Uh, you, 
uh, if you're a, 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 a woman in here, uh, the, the process of being a part of building the home is not something that is seasonal. Uh, it is something that, you, that a wise woman takes responsible, responsibility for all the days of her life. And so this is why this idea extends way beyond uh, the idea of just Mother's Day, right? So if you're in here today and you're single, you're not married, can I tell you something? You're building the home right now. Your wisdom isn't just impacting, the, the, wisdom to, the, the wisdom to operate and build isn't just even impacting your home, your future home, you're impacting the homes of people around you. So, and then maybe you're married and you don't have children. Can I tell you, the work you're doing, the way you're living your life, again, it is impacting, it is building homes around you. It is changing lives. And maybe you're a mother or maybe your children are grown and, uh, and have moved out or, or maybe you're a widow. Maybe you're in a season of life where you just feel like, like I'm, just, I'm just ready to go and be with you. It doesn't matter what phase of life you are in. There's work to be done and wisdom tells us that. Wisdom says, God, the reason you have me here today and you haven't taken me to be with you is because you have a purpose for me. And if you don't get anything else today, ladies, I want you to know that God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. Your lives mean something, they matter. And anybody that would say differently is a liar and is ignorant. And we believe in you.